You're listening to the chronicles of young professional 30-somethings navigating life, love, work, and politics. It's Breaking Bread Takeover, hosted by Jocelyn, Tanya, and Natalie, presented by Goodstock Consulting. Well, Shauna, thanks for joining us. Um, we're super excited to have you, and we know that this is super important, especially as it relates to um, women's health and maternal health. So we're excited to have you share our your journey with us. If you just want to um, just introduce yourself to the viewers, and then we can get started with the with the first question. Yeah, sure. Hello, everybody. My name is Rashana Baker. I live in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, and I just started the process of going through infertility treatments. And I'm here to tell you all that I know. <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate you for, for being here with us. Um, so if you could just share with us, um, you know, kind of about your journey, when you knew that you wanted to, to try and start this process. I think like so many other women, I actually was diagnosed in 2007. I had to have surgery to have cysts removed from my ovaries. And at that time, my gynecologist told me that I had less than 50% chance of getting pregnant naturally and that I needed to see a fertility specialist, which I did immediately after um, post-surgery. And that's when I was diagnosed um, with this, this liquid called hydrocyoplinks and block tubes. Okay. So I knew then that IVF, even though at the time I wasn't ready to actually pursue the process, I knew then that it was something that was gonna be required for me to um, have a baby. Okay. And how long have you, um, how long have you been going through this process so far? I would say, so I've actually been to three different specialists. The first time I was diagnosed, I went to a specialist. And then uh, with my now husband, I went to see when we actually got, when we got serious in our relationship, I went to a specialist then because I, of course I wanted him to know like, okay, this is what it's going to require for, for us to have a baby. So I would say from 2007 up until now I've been going through this journey and the experience is just I think every phase there's a different experience when I first found out I kind of I would say I went through a process of or I went through a state of kind of being in denial like, oh, you know, well, they said that it, I had li- less than 50% chance. I still have that other 50%. And, you know, well, one tube is still kind of open. So, of course, I mean, I went through, I held on to hope for um, a while. And then, you know, the negative pregnancy test. So I think that ne- those negative pregnancy tests brought me back to reality real fast. Mm-hmm. And um, I think, you know, it's just been it's just been a, an emotional roller coaster. Okay, gotcha. Thanks for sharing that. And so you, you said that you have been to to three different 
um, specialist, is there any particular um, reason why, why you didn't select one over another or didn't um, stay with one versus another? Yes. So at the time when I was diagnosed the first time, I just wasn't really ready, even though I was in a committed relationship. We were just not ready to actually go through the process because we were not ready to be parents. And then on top of that, it was such a financial burden. Um, it was just such a financial burden that neither one of us, I mean, we were in our early 20s, 22, 23. So we just were not financially ready to take on the the financial burden, burden of, of IVF. And then the second time I went just to the second time I went to a specialist, even though I really liked this clinic, um, I only went to kind of give my husband, you know, the information of what it would take. Like, if you decide to marry me, you know, this is what it would require. And at the time, I was, my insurance covered um, the medication, but it didn't cover the process. And then we wanted to wait until we were married to actually even dive into that process. So, and then the third uh, clinic was it was just because, honestly, my insurance covers, it was in network with my insurance. And then I have a quick question, not to throw a wrench in the list of questions, but, um, and feel free to, if, you, if you're not comfortable answering yeah, this. Yeah, no, 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 go ahead. Yeah, since you mentioned that at the when you first were diagnosed that it was early on and you kind of weren't ready or planning for, for children or planning for that process just yet anyway, I'm curious to know how that, how that diagnosis impacted the way that you approached relationships. Um, if that conversation ever came up in people that you were dating prior to meeting your husband, or was it just you just happened to meet your husband after the first relationship that you were in where you actually got that diagnosis? Yeah, I would definitely say it. So when I actually found out I was diagnosed, I had been with the guy that I was with for like 10 years and we were actually engaged. So I thought we were going to get married. <laughs> mm -hmm. I thought we were going to get married. Mm -hmm. And I can honestly say, I know that so many women carry shame when the term infertility is attached. Right. I never really carried that shame. I've always been, even after me and the guy that didn't work out, I've always been very open and honest about, okay, you know, well, I have to go through IVF. I mean, and I would randomly throw it up and like first dates <laughs> just because I just, you know, I, for one, I, I hate the fact that, you know, the female body and, and, the, and, and the reproductive health or just, you know, taking care of ourselves is not a more broad topic of discussion. Yeah. So I would say that I've just, even I've just always been very open and I've never carried shame with uh, the diagnosis. I've just been like, this is what it is. Mm -hmm. Now, I will say I, I cared less about what other people felt mm -hmm. and paid more attention to how I felt like, OK, this is my situation. I'm going to own it, even though I can tell you that that didn't stop me from 
you know, taking a pregnancy test when my period was, you know, a couple of days late and, and having those feelings of God dang it. Okay. I really, I really have to do IVF. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's helpful to hear, especially the aspect of shame, which I, to your point, I think a lot of people or a lot of women who may be dealing with the same thing may not feel as comfortable or not feel as open in sharing that. And some people do take into account other people's feelings over how they feel about the situation themselves. And that kind of impacts how they communicate about it. So thank you for sharing um, that Absolutely. part. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you. Um, Tanya, were you going to say something earlier? I saw you had unmuted yourself. Yeah, I was going to interrupt Shauna, though, but I was just going to say, damn, about the money. It's like, oh, being in your early 20s, I can only imagine hearing that was intense. Yes. And it's just and the thing about IVF. You don't really. When you talk to the specialists, they don't necessarily give you all the information because everybody's journey is so different. So what your what your protocol may be, aka like your process or your method, they can't necessarily say like, okay, your medication is gonna cost this much because it could it can vary. So the thing about IVF is you don't really understand the journey. It's, let me say this. It's a difference between knowing you have to pursue IVF and actually being in IVF because the information just, everything is new. Even though you know you have to go through IVF, each step is just so new because they can't really give you all the information on what it will take until they do certain tests and you know you're, they have to consider your husband's sperm count it's, it, it's just it's an overwhelming amount of information so in my 20s I definitely was like I can't afford this <laughs> we can't do this right now <laughs> we live in an apartment we live in an apartment what no so, yeah, it's just, I mean, yeah. I mean, to your point, it sounds like IVF's an umbrella term for a lot of different journeys within it. That is such a well-articulate statement. Like, that is, you hit the nail on the head, for sure, because it is. Because every woman's body is just so different, and every woman's situation and diagnosis is it's different. So it is, I definitely would say that um, it is it definitely an umbrella. And I think that makes it, I don't want to jump the gun to questions, but I, I think that's why it's so hard to almost talk to or to, to develop a support group because people really don't understand what it takes. So what has that kind of looked like for you um, in terms of support? Um, either that you've had or that you um, wish that you had or that has really worked out well for you? The, the IVF journey is, I mean, you feel kind of lonely, and especially now, or I can just talk about my particular journey with COVID happening. And you know that when you're in the process, you want to isolate yourself. You also 
put yourself or you should every every person or woman that is going through IVF you have to put yourself in a peace bubble so then throughout trying to keep the peace in my life I've had to cut relationships like if if I pick up the phone and all you want to do is gossip about so-and-so girl we, I got to go <laughs> Right. My husband just got here or, you know, let me finish cleaning and washing these dishes. I mean, you just have to you it's it can it can feel very isolating because you want to protect your peace. You want to protect your health. You know, everybody when it comes to IVF, you know, you just don't know what to say. And that's fair. I totally I totally understand not knowing how to approach when it comes to giving advice or, you know, supporting, you know, people just don't know what to say when it comes to that, especially when they have children, you know, cause they don't want to say anything wrong or, you know, they want to say the right thing when not really realizing like, yeah, that probably wasn't the best thing to say. But uh, on the, on the positive side of that, I definitely have a very, like the people that I do lean to and lean on, they hold me up for sure. They keep me going. They allow me to have my moment of, okay, I'm frustrated. This is a lot. Mm-hmm. And they just kind of say, you, you know, they just, they allow me to have my moment, but still are, you know, just there to lean on. And then, you know, when it comes to my marriage, I actually had to allow my husband to be there for me because, and what I mean by that is to, instead of like hiding my emotions or deciding like, I'm not going to cry just to actually cry, (laughs) you know, to actually allow myself times to be vulnerable with him so he can actually you know I'm the one who's doing all the injections you know I have to take all the medication so just allowing him to be there for me emotionally I think is is something that I would advise every woman to do like it's okay to be vulnerable you don't always have to put on a strong face because you need those moments because you if you can't let your guard down with the people you trust the most, then it's just going to be so much harder to carry. I can see that. And even like you, like you kind of um, alluded to earlier about, you know, naturally feeling like it's a, it's a lonely journey. So I can definitely understand why you're saying to, to do the leaning and the, you know, the vulnerability and just opening yourself up um, so that you do have that support throughout the process. Yes. If I can ask Shauna, you're saying this so, so well. Oh, um, and it feels like it's really coming from the heart. But when you were talking about the support part, I think I have been the person who says the wrong things. Mm-hmm. So I'm a little curious what kind of verbiage or words were helpful or support supported. You know, I've actually I've, I've loved children since I was, since I was a child. Like I've loved children since I could remember. And be, and I've actually had family members say, oh, you, you know, you like kids so much. You probably won't have any, Oh wow. you know? Yeah. I mean, That's it's, awesome. it's, I know 
<laughs> no, I know. So, you know, people don't really realize that, you know, power and death lies in the tongue and you just have to be careful and mindful of, of what you say to people because you could be speaking things over their life. Believe in that. And sometimes you just want people to listen. Like, I don't necessarily need you to, to give me advice because I understand that you may not really know what advice to give in this situation. But if you could just listen and say, you know, what do you need? Do you need anything? What, what do you need from me? How can I support you? I mean, luckily, I don't really have people like that except for the people who and you know the people in my family who said those things who spoke those things over me I don't even allow them to be in my in my space at this time because I can't have you know I can't have that 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 thinking around me right definitely got to protect your peace yeah and and you know for the most part we give grace I think Mm -hmm. we have to for me I, I give people grace like I know that you mean well. I know that you, you know, you have your best, your intentions are good. So I think we also, for for you, Tanya, I think, you know, people have to give grace. And, and even though you may not have said the right thing, the fact that you even said anything, like some people just blow it off, like, oh, for real? Dang, girl. Mm-hmm. You know, so even, the, you know, sometimes you just have to to give people grace. So I hope that, you know, any woman who's going through this journey, you have to know that, you know, it's just for one, it's never talked about. So people don't really know what to say. And you have mm-hmm. to you can't you can't take it personal. You just cannot take it personal. That's like people asking you when you're going to have kids like okay. Even though that's such a rude statement, I mean, you just, you really can't, you got to just be like a sitting duck. You got to let it roll off. Mm-hmm. Oh, Brittany yeah, loved that one. Brittany loved that. <laughs> got to like be like a duck. <laughs> Don't she though? <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say to your to your point about um, people meaning well and giving them grace. I think generally as a society, there's a big opportunity for people to just be more mindful of how they speak to women or people that are looking to have children or start families about that process. Because to your point, like, yeah, people may mean well when they ask when you're going to have children, but there's so many different things that go into people's ability to have children, finance, mental state, physical body, like biological capabilities. And that kind of statement just assumes that if they don't, then something's wrong. So I think there's, there's definitely a certain level of grace that you want to give to people, but there's also like, at this point, we're, we're really big in our age. And like, there's a lot of information out there. Mm-hmm. People just, people just get stuck in their and get stuck in their ways of, oh, at this particular point in life, you should be doing X, Y, or Z, you should have X, Y, or Z. And we're seeing that, you know, there are people that are older in age that are still having children or going through similar processes and are being successful or are sharing their stories. And it's not just a cookie cutter formula or equation that works across the board. So I think there's definitely an opportunity for not only for um, people going through the process to, you know, to be graceful for those that may mean well, but also just people in general to just, just hush up sometimes. Like you don't always have to just open and say what's on your mind or say what you think should be right. Um, Just be mindful of that people's, people may be going through different things that you may not be aware of. Definitely. Most definitely. I agree with a lot with that too, Nat. Um, Cause I mean, even talking to my mommy friends, especially now during this formula shortage and, you know, and they talk about the, you know, the legislatures and the decision makers who have, 
you know, all the stuff to say about abortion, X, Y, Z, and all these things, but we have this formula shortage that is ultimately impacting, you know, women across the, mothers across the board, and nobody's talking about it, or nobody's really doing anything to fix it. Um, so there's just, there there are a lot of moving parts, and, and also, like you said, with there being more information and more research and more data that is is being available um and these these options opportunities like IVF being you know being able to be brought to the table versus just a blanket um you know form of infertility and and no other options period so mm-hmm. I think it is a I think it is a lot to consider um and Shauna, I know that you mentioned earlier about, you know, especially your relationship with your husband and, and you having to be the person that, that takes the medication and, um, you know, do the injections. What has that been like for you, um, whether physically or emotionally? Um, I, so this is kind of tight. This is one of the things that I wish I had known. There are so many side effects to the medication. One being my hair, my hair. So I have been on, basically they have been suppressing my ovulation now for about two months. Mm -hmm. So with my body just not regulating like normal, I'm more tired. I don't have as much energy. Um, my hair has changed. I, I I have naturally like curly hair. I ain't got no curls. Like it just it strips you of nutrients. Um, what else? I think. And then I the the medication like when you when it arrives and you get it all and you see how many shots you have to take a day and. Um, you have to take them at certain times. I really feel for women who have to go to multiple jobs just to, you know, pay for this process. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I just can't even imagine having to work two jobs, come home, take a shot. You have to take them at the same time every day. Um, So it's just, it's just a big I mean, you almost like you're your most responsible. <laughs> right. I mean, you just have to be extremely irresponsible. And to the women who have extra burdens, I mean, I really, I don't, my heart goes out to them. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of need to change your diet. And it's just, it's just, a, it's a lot to think about. It's a lot to consider. And, and thankfully, you know, we do have more information now. We do have, you know, platforms such as this one to where we can go and actually be informed on what it looks like. I mean, I know every woman has, you know, every woman, everybody, every person has something, but whoo, IVF is a beast. Honey. <laughs> Yeah, it's a beast. And, and, you know, mentally, you just, you really have to live in a peace bubble and you have to, I don't know, you know, I, I would hope people have more than a human to, to, to rely on and to talk to, because I ha- actually have, when you walk into my house from the garage, we have a mood board 
and I have to visually see different, you know, affirmations just to keep myself in this, in this positive space and just to create an atmosphere in my home. I love that. Yeah, it's, it's necessary. It's 100% necessary because this journey is, it can be heavy. So you need that, those little pieces, those little nuggets to just push you forward. Mm -hmm. So Shauna, I guess we've been talking a lot about the costs. And I'm curious, was there anything surprising you learned during the journey about yourself, your body, you know, the timelines? Yes. Surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Yes. Uh, age. Your age is, in this situation, I mean, you just, you really have to, I honestly wish that I had done more faster as far as my age because we as women were born with the amount of of eggs we're ever gonna have like we we're not like men where we replenish you know every time we release no we have a set amount of eggs in our ovaries that deplenish over time so I wish I knew that I didn't have time because I think I would have moved a little differently. I would have maybe frozen my eggs. I, so I'm a flight attendant. So even when I'm on the airplane and I'm having conversations with women about, you know, their, their desire to become a mother or just their overall, you know, reproductive health, when they tell me their age, even if they don't, I immediately talk to them about, you know, you should really look into your ovarian reserve. Especially, so as a flight attendant, our insurance covers um, 80% of the actual procedure. And then, yeah, so 80% of the overall procedure. So I'm always in flight attendants' ears. Like, you know, even if you're not in a committed relationship and you don't have a partner, you should still look into your ability to be able to come a become a mother. You know, even if that looks like freezing your embryos, you know, maybe you're not ready, but go ahead. If you have this, this benefit of your job, you know, paying for this process, you should definitely start looking into what it takes because age is for women when it comes to bearing children, it's just not on our side. The older we get, the harder it is. Especially with jobs and careers, mm -hmm. often the same time that you're trying to make a name for yourself. Yes, yes. So I, <laughs> if I could go back and freeze my, my embryos, I would have done that or my eggs because, I mean, it's kind of like a modern modern thing, like a modern woman thing, but I think that it'll save It'll save you in the long run. So I definitely wish I knew that I didn't not I didn't have time because now at the end or when I'm at this point, that is one of the factors that don't benefit me when it comes to IVF. Yeah, it's and you you were saying that your insurance covers eighty percent of the procedure. Was that what you were saying? Yeah, so it covers, so I have a 
life lifetime insurance or lifespan of of the insurance. So basically, I can spend up to twenty five thousand, which is covers about eighty percent of the actual procedure. And then, so they give you twenty five thousand towards the the actual like doctor's appointments and when they do the the embryo transfer so you get 25,000 towards the procedure and then they give you 15,000 towards the medication and I've already tapped out of that <laughs> like I can't it, you know for, this is my first round if we were to god forbid have to do another round we got to come out of pocket because I've already tapped out of what the insurance will pay and then uh, sorry, go ahead. I didn't mean to cut you off. You can go finish your thought. No, I was just saying, and and luckily, you know, we have insurance. Families who don't, mm-hmm. they're mortgage, you know, refinancing their homes and you know, getting credit card debt because it's a very expensive procedure. Yeah, and to that point, I was just gonna say it's unfortunate how the cost of this life-changing option is very inaccessible to a lot of people because of the cost or the um, situations that people have to put themselves in financially in order to take this, you know, take this chance or take this leap of faith to see if a process like this works. Cause I'm sure there's levels of like guarantee or not guarantee um, for Mm -hmm. each depending on how their bodies work. So it's just crazy to hear. And I'm always, um, uh, I'm always looking at what other countries do for similar um, similar types of treatments. And I know that America is just always, always going to be the ones with ridiculous amounts of money for these kinds of things. But it's just crazy to see that in comparison to other places and like what the reason is. Because even just having a child without any you know additional complexities or any additional issues, uh, you know, a seemingly quote unquote healthy woman trying to have a child, even those costs are just ridiculous. Like the cost of have skin to skin interaction with your child once you push them out of you there's a you know there's a there's a cost that's associated with that and it's just interesting all the prices and all the the costs and all the um financial burden that gets put on this repro- this reproductive health generally speaking we have to pay for pads and tampons we have to pay mm-hmm. for birth control we have to pay to deliver the baby we have to pay for the care before and after the baby there's all these things but you know we're we live in a society where everyone's quote unquote pro life but they really are not. <laughs> they really are. They're pro-life because it, you know, it sounds good until you get down to the actual requirements of, of what it means to sustain a life. Yep. So exactly. yeah, I totally agree. And and to your point with you know America being one of the most expensive places before we found out that our insurance, my insurance covered IVF, we were gonna go to Barbados. Yeah, there's a clinic in Barbados. And once you start, I think for any woman who is a part of the IVF community, you, you know, you just you learn so much about reproductive health. And then you also just learn what resources are out there outside of what you think is even possible. So Barbados is definitely one of the places that multiple couples go to because they're so I mean they're just more economical Mm, yeah that's interesting because I know a lot of people travel outside of the country for other 
um, clinically related or medical services because of the the reduction in cost. And I didn't think about that for reproductive health too. So that's mm-hmm. that's, that's helpful for folks that are listening, perhaps to hear if they if that if what the cost in the U.S. and their insurance isn't feasible or doesn't cover what they need, that there are potential options in other places. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So turning a little bit of a corner, um, I guess this is a little bit of a sensitive question, but I've, I have known of some people who have been concerned about if it's painful at all. And I was curious, Shauna, if you felt comfortable sharing if it was physically painful to start IVF for you or if it was emotionally and you kind of touched on this a little before. Yeah, I definitely. So the emotional part is is there. There's no doubt about it. You will definitely have ups and downs throughout this journey. It's just, I mean, that's just the way that it is. There's no getting around it. I think that's just why, like earlier I said, it's just so important to maintain your atmosphere in, in a positive light. And as far as the pain goes, I think there are certain procedures that you have to go through in IVF, like getting, you know, your HSG, which is where they insert dye into your, um, your, your, your uterus and your fallopian tubes, just to kind of get an idea of what's going on. That is painful for some women. The injections, I, they don't, they're not necessarily painful for me, um, there is one medication that the needle is a little thicker, but I'm not really, I mean, my husband's in the medical professional. So if I don't really feel like doing the shots, I just make him do it. <laughs> and it's not, and it's just not, no, I, for me, it's not painful. Okay. Um, it's draining, but it's not painful. Gotcha. So one question that I wanted to ask and I know that it, so I want to ask this and I'm going to ask this in two parts, but wanted to know if you and your husband, and then just you as an individual, because you're, this is a process that's impacting you physically um, during this journey that you, you and your husband are on, but did you all have any goals going into it, both individually for yourself and then also as a couple, as far as what you're looking to, like what's your, and I don't want to say end goal, because again, there's uh, um, peaks and valleys in this journey for you, I'm sure, but just curious to know if you all had set or come together and decided on any goals that you wanted to work towards both as a couple and then you as an, as an individual. Yeah, I think for us, the goal has always been to take it one step at a time. Because if you try to deal with everything all at once, it's just, it's too overwhelming. So I definitely, one thing that we talked about before we even started, you know, whatever, whatever it looks like, Mm -hmm. we're going to deal with that one step at a time. Yeah. Um, You know, we actually also talked about how open we were going to be about it, which for him, it was more like, well, what do you, what exactly do you want to do? How do you feel? Mm-hmm. Um, so while he was considering my feelings, I was also considering him. So just deciding for us how how who we're going to share this with. Like you know, there's still people in his family who don't even know we're going through this process. Mm-hmm. You know, because for him, that's how he felt it to be best. Right. Um, and then you know, how open are we going to be with friends and family? Am I going to talk about this on social media? Mm -hmm. 
So just kind of ironing out those things because, you know, this affects us both equally when it comes to how we're perceived, I would say. And then some people, you know, you just, you know that they don't know how to deal with that. So yeah, for us, it was just kind of making sure that we were on the same page of how we were going to deal with what was coming with this financially um, also. Mm -hmm. So that was, and then for me personally, I think my goal, I've said this multiple times, is just to be in a space where it is very, very positive. So I have, I made it a goal for me to make sure that I speak words of affirmation over myself. I create what I know for sure works for me because, you know, and then also I I told myself that I was going to allow myself to feel like whatever that is, whatever that looks like in that moment, I'm not going to try and be you know, the strongest, the strongest person on the planet, if if I'm feeling some type of way, I'm going to acknowledge those feelings instead of suppressing them. Mm -hmm. So I just definitely for me, just allow myself to be in my feelings, whatever that is, and then just create my own atmosphere, whether that means, you know, whatever that whatever that means. Well, I think that's good that you've kind of you've gone into this and to continue through the journey, kind of reinforce what it means for you and also for you and your husband, what it means for you both collectively and that you all kind of laid out a plan, like you mentioned, both financially as well as how you're going to communicate it, who you're going to share it with and all those things. Because I think that can kind of uh, create friction down the line or, you know, un, you know, um, yeah, I guess friction is, is the right word I want to use. Mm-hmm. Um, if you all haven't kind of gone down that path of doing that planning and kind of working those kinks out in the beginning, so that way it can be a little bit smoother moving forward. And of course, there's going to be times we have to regroup. But I think that you all set a plan is a really smart idea. The last question that I had to kind of wrap up our conversation today. And again, we truly appreciate how open you've been with us. But wanted to just close with you. Um, if there's anything else you'd like to share, you've already shared so many gems and so many um, uh, insights that I didn't even know about um, as someone on the outside looking in to what the process looks like for looks like for other women and other um, families. But what is that, what is, is there anything else you'd like to share for those who are going through or considering doing IVF? I think if, if there's one thing that I could share is when it comes to your, your specialist, your doctor, whoever, you know, you choose to go with, that you create an open line of communication, whether that be with the doctors or the nurses, never hesitate to ask questions if you feel like you don't understand or that if something doesn't make sense to you, ask questions because this journey is so tedious and there's so many different steps within the process that it just, it it creates a peace of mind when you feel like you have an understanding of of what you're actually getting yourself into. So I would just tell every every couple to never be afraid to ask questions. And I think another thing is, it is so important to, like I said before, maintain your your mindset to make sure that you do whatever it takes to mentally 
be stable because this is so heavy. And then, you know, whenever you do have those moments, allow yourself to have moments, allow yourself to kind of feel, don't stay in a place of, of wallowing, but definitely don't close those feelings up inside because you will explode. So allow the people who are in your support group to support you. Allow yourself to feel whatever it is you're feeling. Gotcha. Well, thank you for, for those um, last two nuggets for those that are listening. Um, Jocelyn, Tanya, anything else you'd like to ask or add before we close out? No, I don't have anything. Um, I just want to also make a plug um, to the Good Stock ladies. They also have a birth episode on their B Word Unpacked um, podcast, which we are a subset of that talks about birth experiences um, and facts about Black women in childbirth in the United States. So if you want any other information and, and want to um, tune in further, there's also that episode um, on the B Word Unpacked. Thank you so much, Shauna. Thank you so much. Oh my gosh. Thank y'all. I'm so, I'm so thankful that you guys have created this platform. It's just another resource that we all need. And I feel honored. And thank you so much for allowing me to share my journey. This is definitely a highlight for me, especially being in the, in the midst of going through IVF. So I definitely hope that in some way I've shed some light on IVF journey. So thank you, ladies. Thank you for listening to Breaking Bread Takeover, hosted by Jocelyn, Tanya, and Natalie, presented by Goodstock Consulting. Find out more about Goodstock at www.goodstockconsulting.com.